Well, good morning, Journey. You know, there is a social question and answer site that you can go on in the internet called Quora. And Quora is a place where you can post random questions and people can answer. Um, it's kind of a, they, they tout it as an online knowledge market. Um, and people collaborate together to bring answers to a variety of questions. And as of 2020, Quora is visited by 300 million people a month. Now, some of the random questions that you can find there are things like, how can I persuade someone not to park in my parking spot? You know? Or what, what's the biggest lesson learned in life that no one teaches? Or then there's this one. Um, if I am boarding an airplane and notice uh, something is wrong with the wing, should I say something? <laughs> yep, they, they had to go on social media to find the answer to that one. <laughs> but one, one question that I noticed there this week is this. Why is life so unfair for some people? And at the top of the list, and, and their answers are kind of ranked, the top of the list, the response reads this. Do not expect others to understand your feelings. Pain is the only thing that can make people understand each other. We, the less fortunate by the lottery of life, must walk with dark hearts full of anguish and misery in silence until we die. And then he goes on to say, the person that answered this question, uh, why is life so unfair? There are two answers. In the case of the existence of God, which he says is unlikely, he has the power and desire to put you through whatever he likes because he is strong and no one can oppose him or stop him, which makes God more disgusting and more despicable. Now his other answer to that question is that there is no God. That is life, he says, period. It is cruel and unfair. Do not expect more from a world where in order to survive, you have to consume other forms of life. Just never expect anyone to understand your pain. Pain is the real and strong bond. So 300 million people a month can land on that answer to a question like, why is life unfair? Well, it's pretty sad and, and misguided understanding of life. And yes, I, I realize that life can be hard. Life can be brutal. There's always stuff that we go through in life that we would not choose to do or to experience. We can, we can have prayers that go unanswered. We can have grief that's turned to disappointment with God or even anger towards God or bitterness because life didn't go the way that you thought it should go. Maybe your dream job kind of falls through and you watch the news and you think, man, our world is in chaos. Well, if you're feeling that way, you're not alone. You know, we're continuing our series through the Minor Prophets called Messengers. Minor Prophets with a major message. And today we come to a prophet named Habakkuk. Now, Habakkuk is a a prophet whose name is hard to spell and difficult to pronounce, but he's got a clear message for us today. So if you brought your Bibles with you today, let me encourage you to, to locate Habakkuk. It's towards the end of our Old Testament. Um, open up your app, and, and as you do so, let me introduce you to this prophet. 
Now, at the time of his writing, um, this would have been around 620 B.C., the nation of Israel was, was facing being conquered by a powerhouse nation called Babylon. At the time, Assyria was ruling the northern nation, but Assyrian, Assyria as a country was beginning to wane. Babylon was on the horizon. and they were looming large over the people of Israel. So this is the kind of context that Habakkuk is writing in. One powerhouse controlling nation is giving way to another powerhouse nation. So with all this going on, the prophet Habakkuk asked the question that all of us have probably wondered at one time or another, why is life so hard? Why is life so fair? If, if I believe in God and try to follow Him, why are things so difficult at times? Well, his answer is far from what you would find on a website like Quora. You know, we can be left with a hopeless answer if, if we turn to social media for help, or we can turn to Scripture and see how God's prophet answers that very question. Well, Habakkuk's a great book because he begins by complaining to God and questioning to God. And as you read the opening pages, you realize, well, if God's prophet can do it, then it must be okay to ask questions like that to God. So he complains because he sees what's going on around him in the world, and he feels like God is just being quiet, that God is not doing anything about it. So look at the opening lines of Habakkuk. This is chapter 1, starting in verse 2. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. You know, we could just like copy and paste that into today's world, couldn't we? We can say the same thing about what we see going on in our world, that violence is all around, justice never, never prevails. And we ask God, how long do we have to cry out for help before you do something? We'll jump down to verse 13 of chapter 1. He continues his complaint to God where he says, Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? That's Habakkuk's way of saying life is not fair. Why do you allow this stuff to go on? You know, out of all the prophets, Habakkuk is, is unique in his writing as a prophet, because it's one of the only books where, where as a prophet, he's not addressing the people of God. He's not talking to, to Israel. He's not talking to the Hebrew nation people. It's just a back and forth between Habakkuk as prophet and God. They're having this conversation, this complaining, and then the Lord answers, and Habakkuk complains some more, and he answers again. And as God reveals his divine work and as God reveals his plan to this prophet, Habakkuk learns that he's going to have to let go of his expectations. He's going to have to let go of what he wants to accomplish and wait patiently on God to fulfill his plan. 
His divine purpose and His timing and in His ways. So the book starts out with Habakkuk really at a low place because he's seeing what's going on in the world. He's seeing the violence. He's asking the question, why do the violent people prevail and the righteous people get, get pushed down? So he's spiritually at a low place. And because of that, he is wrestling with God. He's wrestling with God's plan. He's just wrestling with God himself, period. And in those opening paragraphs, his, his heart starts low, but by the time we get to the end of the book, man, he is on a spiritual mountaintop. He's climbed from the valley to the, to the heights. Now his circumstances hadn't changed. Babylon as a nation is still looming large, and as we know from biblical history, they will conquer the nation soon. But in the end, as we will look at in a moment, Habakkuk closes with just this beautiful passage of worship and praise to God. So Habakkuk has a lot to teach us this morning. He's got a lot to teach us about this, about trusting in God in the middle of the mess, in the middle of the mess of life. And whether you are deep in, you know, knee deep in a mess now, or you just crawled out of one, or one's looming large in your life, he has a lot to show us of how to trust God. Now in his book, there is a kind of a transition verse that takes place. This is chapter 2, verse 20. He's gone through all of his complaining, all of God's answers to him, and then we come to verse 20 and things take a shift because it's just a simple statement and says, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. In other words, it's, he's got to the point where, okay, he's saying, time just to shut my mouth. You know, I'm just going to be quiet, I'm going to be silent, and I'm going to acknowledge God as God. That the Lord is in His temple. He reigns as in charge. And Habakkuk saying, you know, I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm just going to shut up and, and let you be God. And what follows then in chapter 3 of Habakkuk is an incredible passage of Scripture that we're going to dive into today. So that back and forth is given away, and now it shifts to prayer and worship. And as we look at chapter 3, we're going to see how Habakkuk climbed out of that spiritual low place. What, what took place in his heart and his life to bring him from the valley to the mountaintops. And we're going to see a few things. One, that Habakkuk, he prayed for the work of God. He saw the greatness of God. And he affirmed the will of God. And as we look at this, we can apply that to our own lives because, you know, how do we rise to those spiritual heights? How do we get out of the muck and mire of spiritually low places to be able to walk on the spiritual mountaintops from time to time? Well, the same thing that took Habakkuk there. Prayer, the right kind of vision, and faith in the one true God. So let's dive in in chapter 3, and we're going to see how Habakkuk prayed for the work of God. In verse 2, of Habakkuk 3, it says this, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day and in our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. You know, his prayer begins with just this state of awe. Uh, um, uh, other versions say, you know, your work, Lord, do I fear. So he's got this sense of awe and fear of what God is doing and because he realizes that 
when you see the work of God take place, it's not always unicorns and rainbows. Sometimes it's a scary thing. And it could leave you in a state of awe or a state of fear because God's working can be a frightful thing, especially when he works in our life. Because as Habakkuk is learning, sometimes God works through the pain of life. He doesn't pull us out of it to, to make everything go smoothly, but in the midst of the difficulty is when we see God's work. You know, if you did a, just a quick survey of, of Scripture, Time and time again, when people encountered God and God moved in a mighty way, man, those people were shaken to the bone. They had that sense of fear. They fell down in fear and worship. You know, when, when God gave the law to Moses on Mount Sinai, it tells us that Moses trembled in fear because he was encountering the living God. When, when Joshua was entering the promised land, he encountered the, the servant of the Lord, an angel of God, and he fell down on his face in fear. When, when Daniel, read about him, when he saw this vision of God, he fell down as if he were sick before the Lord, exhausted and in fear of him. And we read about in the very end of Scripture in the book of Revelation where, where John has this vision of the glorified Christ. He says, I fell down as though I died. Encountering God can be a fearful thing. Well, here's the point of all that. The, the same God who ordains the end also ordains the means to that end. So where God wants to end up, where God wants to put us, He also orchestrates how that's going to happen. So listen to what Habakkuk prays for in that second verse. He says he asked the Lord to do three things. He says, repeat them in our day. In other words, revive what you're doing, God, today. And then he says, make them known. In other words, reveal it to your people and then remember mercy through it all. So he's asking for a revival of God's work. He's asking for a revelation for people to see uh, the work of God. And then he knows, and we all need it, that we need mercy in the midst of it all. So when you're struggling, when you're deep in the mess of life, pray for God to revive his work in you. N not, not just around you in, in, in your situation or in your circumstance, but in you. You know, it, it's interesting to note that the work that God was doing was not the work that Habakkuk would have chosen to do. It, it, it's not like God, he was praying, God, send the Babylonians to conquer us. No, he was like, Lord, why is this happening? You know, I would love to get out of it, but you're God and I'm not. It goes back to that transition verse in chapter 2, verse 20, when he says the Lord is in his temple. That's Habakkuk's way of saying, God, you're in charge, I'm not. So he prays for God to revive his work, and like Habakkuk, it begins inside us. It begins in our hearts. So instead of praying for God to change your circumstances, sometimes our prayer needs to be, God, change me. Change me first. Give me a, a new perspective. Revive your work in my heart because sometimes there might be sin obstacles in our own life that God needs to deal with. So for, for you to pray, revive your work, can be a scary thing to do. 
Because then you're giving permission to God, okay, work in areas of my life that I might want to ignore. But then he goes on to pray and he says, God, reveal your work to me. Reveal your work to us. In other words, reveal areas in my life that do need that kind of work. Make them known. Even if I don't want to hear it, make it known to me. You know, pray that we can be open to the movement of God. In other words, as you begin to pray in difficult situations, God begins to work in our hearts and show us areas that we might need to work on, maybe as a parent, maybe as a spouse or an employee, student. It's like, what areas, God, do, do you need to change my life? And then, God, then Habakkuk knows that he needs God's mercy through it all, so he kind of wraps up this prayer saying, remember mercy in your wrath. You know, what we deserve is God's wrath, but what God gives us is his grace and mercy. So how do we move from the valleys to the mountaintops? Well, it begins in prayer. It begins on our knees in prayer as we begin to climb out of the valleys. But then we go on and see the vision that, that Habakkuk had because he sees the greatness of God. Not only did he pray for the work of God, but he sees the greatness of God. And he recounts how God, how great he is, retelling history. He gives us like this refresher course on biblical history, like a continuing ed class, you know, to, 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 keep, your, um, to keep you where you need to be. So he begins to recount what God has done in history. In verse 3, this is what he says. God came from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. His rays flashed from his hands where his power was hidden. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed in his steps. He's basically retracing the movement of God's people from Egypt into the promised land. He's, he's referencing the, the Exodus event, that one, one event in Israel's history that just confirmed that God is more powerful than all the gods that people try to worship, that God is in control. So he's, he's recalling that event and drawing people back, it's like remembering what God did back then and how powerful he was. And everything in the stanza re reveals God's glory. And then in verse 6, he just says, referring to God, he stood. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. I just love that imagery. It's like God just standing there. It's like he's in control. God is in control. He's seeing the greatness of God, and he's given these descriptors to remind the people of who God is. And this God of glory reveals himself in creation. He reveals himself in history. And this living God is the one that, that makes the dead idols of the nations look ridiculous. He's the God of power that can command the sea and the heavens and the earth. And he's the God of victory who leads his people in triumph. And then later on in chapter 3, he, Habakkuk goes on to give these further declarations of God's power. He says stuff like this, you strolled through the earth, you threshed the nations, you delivered your people, you crushed the leader of the land of wickedness, you pierced his head, you trampled the sea with your horses. 
I mean, reading this chapter, it, it feels like he's recounting, recounting the big win over the rival sports team the night before. There's like, yeah, do you remember that? You know, the three-point shot with one second left, nothing but net for the victory. You know, Habakkuk is saying, yeah, do you remember what God did? Do you remember how great he was, what he did? Oh, what about today? How do we, you know, see God's greatness in the presence? You know, last week after our services, we held our, our annual meeting. And some of us, some people might think annual meeting, yeah, it's just one of those things that we got to do. But you know what? It was really a faith-building exercise for me to do that. Why? Because we were able to see and look back on the previous year of how God has worked and moved. And we heard stories of ministries that have started and are growing. And, and you can look at the annual report booklet and just read through that. And that's a faith-building exercise because we see that God is moving in every ministry from nursery to coffee to greeters to starting point. All of these ways God is using to impact people's lives. And just that simple little meeting we did was encouraging for me as your pastor. But, but another thing that I, that I make my, my habit is, is I write down what I'm praying for. I kind of keep a journal. And from time to time, I, I look back on that, and I see how God has answered them in His way, in His time. Sometimes I might be praying for, like, you know, ABC, but God answers it X, Y, Z. And then I can see that, yeah, God's plan is bigger than mine. But, but just that simple act of journaling about it is a faith-building exercise. You know, the God we read about here in this minor prophet named Habakkuk is the same God today. The, here's some examples of what the Bible says about how our God is unchanging. He doesn't shift. In Psalm 90, it says, Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And Psalm 102 says, But you remain the same. Your years will never end. And in Malachi chapter 3, it says, I, the Lord, do not change. Hebrews chapter 1 says this, you remain the same and your years will never end. And in James chapter 1, it says, the father of the heavenly lights who does not change like the shifting shadows. And in Revelation chapter 1, God declares, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, and is to come. The Lord Almighty. So the God we read about in these minor prophets is the same God today. So how do we move from those valleys to the spiritual heights? Well, it starts with prayer on our knees, and then it moves to a vision lifted up and focused on the greatness and movement of God. And thirdly, we affirm the will of God. Habakkuk chapter 3 is one of the greatest confessions of faith that I can find in Scripture. You know, the scenario again is their, their own country, their own, nation, their own nation is crumbling, is falling apart, literally. Politically, you know, religiously, everything is crumbling. And in just a matter of years, the people are going to go into exile. They're 
country will be ruined. Their capital city of Jerusalem will be laid waste. Their temple, their center of worship is going to be torn down. Yet, Habakkuk tells God, even in the midst of that, he's going to trust. Listen to this confession of faith starting in verse 16 of Habakkuk 3. He says, I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet, yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation that on the nation invading us. And then get this. He says, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crops fail, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pens and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. I love that passage of Scripture. So his confession of faith, he says, yet, I love that those three little letters, yet, he sees what's going on, and he says, yet, I'm going to wait patiently. I'm going to quietly wait. I mean, one of the marks of, of faith is that willingness to wait on God and not our own timing. And you know what? That can be the hardest thing for us, can it? I mean, sometimes I feel like the child in the back seat going, you know, are we there yet? Are we there yet? When are we going to get there? When are we going to get there? God, when are you going to answer? When are you going to answer, God? Huh? Huh? But Habakkuk says, I'm just going to wait patiently, quietly wait. You know, and you know what? That's hard. Years ago, I was, I was in a traffic jam, stuck in traffic in Southern California, I was living there at the time, and it was, you know, a normal everyday occurrence to get stuck in traffic. And I was a brand, brand new believer at the time, brand new Christian, and I, and I had a Bible in the car with me, and I'm stuck in traffic, and I glance over to my left, and there's like an old school Bronco sitting there with a lift kit on. So as I look over, I'm like, you know, I'm looking at about the center of his door. And on, on, on his door simply says the, the biblical reference, Psalm 4610. I didn't know what that was. I mean, I had never read the Psalms. I, I, I didn't know that scripture, but I had my Bible in my car. So I'm looking over it. I'm, I find it. You know, I open it up, and I find a verse that has stuck with me through the years because it simply says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And you know what? That was a really fitting verse to, be, to read when I'm stuck in a traffic jam. You know, your patience is wearing down. You want to get to where you need to go. You want to move faster. And then God brings this bronco next to me to remind me to be still and know that I am God. And you know what? Sometimes we need to be reminded of that. Just to quietly wait and wherever we find ourselves you know we, we might get a little tense we want to move ahead but we need to be reminded that god's god and we're not and then habakkuk goes on to say you know i'm going to rejoice in the lord i'm going to be joyful in my savior he chooses joy in the midst of the mess and he says acknowledges at the end that the lord god is my strength He's saying, you know what? I'm going to trust in you, God. 
I'm not going to rely on my own strength, not my own ability, and I'm going to rest in you. And what does Habakkuk do? And he begins to bound up the mountain like a deer. He says because of his faith in the Lord, he's able to stand as a sure-footed deer. He's able to run swiftly and go higher than he's ever gone before. I like how the message version um, translates these last few verses. Here's how the message puts it. Though the cherry trees don't blossom and the strawberries don't ripen, though the apples are worm-eaten and the wheat field stunted, though the sheep pens are sheepless and the cattle barns empty, I'm singing joyful praise to God. I'm turning cartwheels of joy to my Savior God. Counting on God's rule to prevail, I take heart and gain strength. I run like a deer. I feel like I'm king of the mountain. So why does life seem unfair? Why does God allow hard times to come? Well, consider it an opportunity to trust God in the middle of the mess. As the praise team comes forward this morning, you know, we, we can look at the life of Habakkuk and we see how he's moved from complaint to contentment. And the prophet came a long way on his own spiritual journey from deeply disturbed to a place of deep faith. And he ends with this determination that I am going to trust in God. And this book leaves us and ends gives us a beautiful place to, to end our own life. Because Habakkuk begins with this interrogation and he ends with this intercession and prayer to God. Worry is transformed into worship. Fear is turned into faith. Terror is turned into trust. And hang-ups is resolved with hope. This anguish turns into adoration. And what begins with a question mark ends with an exclamation point. So today, Journey, put your trust, put your faith, put your allegiance in the one who will never change, and that is Jesus, our Savior. Count on God's rule to prevail. Take heart and gain strength. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the message of Habakkuk, a message that is so relevant for today, so real for the encounters that we face. And Lord, most of all, we just thank you that he reminds us to trust in you in the middle of the mess of life. So thank, thank you, God, for your word that speaks to us today. Open up our hearts to you, and may we receive it and put our trust in you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Let's stand together as we continue to sing.